Marketing can be an incredible force for good. It can also be complicated and confusing. I'm your host, Erica Mills Barnhart, and my goal with this podcast is to bring clarity to the marketing chaos for you. You'll learn inspiring yet practical ways to think about marketing differently so you can do marketing differently and get better results with less stress and more joy for you and your team. Motivation is for the mind and inspiration is for the heart. Marketing for good takes both. Welcome to a whole new way of thinking and doing marketing. Welcome to Marketing for Good. Hey there, it's Erica. Today, I get to share with you a conversation I had with Rebecca Zanata, who's the president of Ostar Group, a fundraising consulting firm. And we talk about our hopes and dreams for the good stuff that may stick around after we come out the other side of the COVID-19 crisis. We talk about optimism. We talk about realism. And we also talk about an idea for fundraising, a direct mail piece that involves just a blank sheet of paper turned horizontally. That's all I'll say about that right now. But I think it's actually a pretty great idea. And I'll look forward to your to your reactions to that and also to the many other things that she shares throughout the course of the conversation. One thing I just want to note that I'm I'm seeing a lot of right now, and I get where it's coming from. It really is, it's such an anxious time. I'm seeing nonprofits and well, mainly nonprofits communicate in a way that is bringing more chaos rather than clarity to the situation. And this is completely unintentional. I know that to be true. And yet it's making it more difficult for people to engage with you. So if you're a listener and you work for a nonprofit, I want to invite you to go get the book that I wrote, Pitchfalls, Why Bad Pitches Happen to Good People, Good People Like You. And you can get that from klaxomarketing.com backslash pitchfalls. Yes, it's about pitches specifically, but honestly, the advice in there and the ideas, you can apply to any messaging and writing that you're working on. So go download your free copy today, klaxomarketing.com pitchfalls. And meanwhile, let's go right into this really wonderful conversation with the really wonderful Rebecca Zanata. Welcome to the Marketing for Good podcast. I am really excited because today we have Rebecca Zanata with us. Rebecca is a fundraising leader, and that's putting it mildly. She has more than 20 years of experience building and stewarding strategic donor partnerships. Currently, she unleashes her superpowers as president of the Ostar Group, a fundraising firm that values relationships, partnerships, and I've come to learn a good beer. She is a Washington (laughs) State graduate and holds a certificate in fundraising management from the Lilly School of Philanthropy. She is faculty at Seattle University in the Master in Nonprofit Leadership Program and is a Washington State University Foundation trustee. Uh, Little known fact, Rebecca is one of the few people who can walk around Green Lake, which is a lake right in the middle of Seattle, faster than I can. I'm a pretty fast walker. She's a faster walker. And she has walked her way around more than 25 countries on five continents. Welcome to the Marketing for Good podcast, Rebecca. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much, Erica. I'm excited to be here with you today. It was something to look forward to. Thank you. (laughs) You, in the fall, actually walked and probably did other things around one of my favorite places, which is Normandy, France. Oh, amazing. Where did you go? So... 
Paris is one of my favorite cities in the whole world. Mm -hmm. So we, of course, couldn't leave out Paris on this trip. So we flew into Paris and then rented a car and drove out and stayed in Bayou. Bayou. So kind of in that area close to the beaches Uh and had an amazing tour, a full day tour. We actually followed the Band of Brothers tour, if anybody watched that show before. Ben, my significant other, is a huge World War II history fan. So we spent days on the beaches and really enjoyed that. And then we went down to the Loire Valley and spent some time drinking some wine and then came back to Paris and then came home. So I'm really glad we had about two weeks. That sounds amazing. And we're recording this while quarantined, sheltered in place, whatever. I've become unclear on what the difference is. Because <laughs> I did 3,079. So travel just feels so delicious, just the idea of it. Amazing. You know, it's funny. So I traveled around the world for a year in 2006. So sold my house, quit my job, did the whole thing. That's when we visited 25 countries on five different continents. My total track to date is about 46 countries. So I am looking forward to whatever that 47th will be. Dreaming a bit of Sri Lanka, maybe Bali, but just now, not sure when, but still, as you said, dreaming, you know, when it's possible to go and learn and support and be part of another community. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm, sounds lovely. But here we are. Here we are. <laughs> here we are. We can dream but not go yet. So the reason I love Normandy is the first time I went to France, so I've been there quite a few times. I'm very, very blessed, plus obsessed with the French language. I went to and stayed with a family for a month in Caen, which is the capital of Normandie, um, okay. right up there. And then we went to the day. Yeah, well, you know, since I spent my early, early days in Canada, I actually... I learned how to speak English first, but I learned how to read and write French first. Yeah. Little, okay. That's a little, little glitch I have. So I've always been in love with France and it was super cool. And the beaches were amazing and the, just all of it stuck with me for sure. All right. So let's, let's see. We're going to talk about fundraising and marketing and people and relationships, all sorts of things. And one of the things I often say is that nonprofits aren't like toothpaste. And what I mean by that is... You don't like have to give to a nonprofit. Like when you run out of toothpaste, you like have to go buy more toothpaste, but you don't have to give to a nonprofit. So over the years, you in your roles have seen thousands of people give to dozens of nonprofits. And I'm just wondering, in your opinion, why do people give money to nonprofits? Like what accounts for this quite irrational behavior? So the word philanthropy means love of mankind. So if you believe that people are good and people want good in the world and want to be part of their community, then I believe that philanthropy is one of the ways in which you can do it. Now, that is a very lofty word. And that's why I say when it comes down to it, it means love of mankind. Because I think people give because they care. And I think they give because they want to see better in the world. And there are so many places where people can make their gifts. And I think that's the beauty of working in this nonprofit sector is seeing the various people who support different organizations and knowing that they're making a really big difference with no matter what size of gift, by the way, it's really about participation. 
And I think there's a value in that that people feel to their community and to the people that they're, the people that the organization is serving. Yep. Yeah. I mean, all the evidence would suggest that you wouldn't donate to nonprofits anymore. And yet there is something so core to, you know, folks who do and what it means about them and their identity and their sense of self and a whole bunch of other things. So we've already mentioned we're recording this while sheltering in place. And COVID-19, I mean, it's changed our, our world in so many ways. And that includes marketing and includes fundraising, of course. Yep. What would you say to those who are listening, who are struggling to raise money? I mean, it's hard right now. I just want to pause and acknowledge these are not easy times and they're really not easy for, you know, frontline workers. Thank you so much for what you're doing. You know, people in the medical profession, healthcare professionals and folks working for nonprofits. It's just tough. I want to come at this, I'm generally an optimist and a positive frame person, but I want to hear you just talk about, because you have this vantage point where you see a whole bunch of organizations doing and trying different things. What mistakes are you seeing organizations make and what would you, what would you recommend they do differently to be more successful? I think the mistakes are coming from fear and unknown. And so one of the mistakes is paralyzation and not, not engaging your donors and making decisions for your donors and not communicating with your donors because you don't know what to say. I think it could be really easy right now to just crawl in a hole yeah. and just not come out for a while. I mean, and that's the hardest part, right? Mm-hmm. We don't know when we're going to be able to sort of crawl up out of this. And even when people say it's going to go back to normal, the normal will be completely new. And I think in fundraising, especially it will be new. But the mistakes that I'm seeing are when people are basing some of their decisions or lack of decisions on fear. Do you think it's solely fear? I guess part of what I'm seeing and wondering about is people working for nonprofits feeling like they shouldn't like bother their donors. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about it is we are all in this together, right? And so as much as angst as you feel as a nonprofit professional, whether you sit in the executive director role you sit as a board role, you sit as a director of development or the program team. I mean, whoever's part of that ecosystem of philanthropy right now, their angst is just very similar to what our donors are feeling. And I mean that by our individual donors, our foundation donors, our corporate donors, everybody would love to keep giving. Everybody would love to keep participating. And what's interesting is I'm seeing, and I'm talking about it a little bit, when you think about, you know, something, the three T's, right? Time, talent, and treasure. And you think about it in the aspect that there might not be a lot of treasure right now, but heck, some people have a lot of time. And so what is that that you could ask your donors or engage with your donors that's more around their time or their talent than their treasure? Because ultimately, treasure will come back. And some people are still giving. I mean, there's certainly in some of the clients that I work with, especially in the food banks and the social service sector, those that are frontline, are seeing a complete increase in donations and an overwhelming support and acknowledgement of the work that they do. And that's heartwarming, right? Because that's something that I hope carries forward in terms of the realization that our nonprofits and that the third sector, the nonprofit sector plays in our community. So listeners of this podcast work for nonprofits and foundations and 
other tax statuses, right? Because it's fundamentally sure. just a tax status. And actually, it was my dad who recently, uh, we were talking about charity and philanthropy and giving and all of these things. And he said, you know, I think about my charitable donations as like my way of paying for, he didn't say quite, he said it more eloquently, but basically buying the better world that I want to see. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, I teach right now, I'm teaching, so it's like on my mind, I literally just taught earlier a couple, couple minutes before this, um, my undergrad class at the University of Washington, which is on nonprofits, philanthropy, and social innovation. And, you know, we're talking a lot about how blurry the lines are between things. And, you know, those students grew up in a time where they put every decision and every purchasing decision and donating decision through with this values filter. Yeah. Every, but a lot, right? Yeah. So it's a it's a very different mindset. And I wonder if you see that playing out, you know, sort of this generational difference in terms of how younger generations and then older than us and us uh, think yeah. about yeah. just make decisions. It feels quite different to me. That's a really interesting point because so I have a senior in high school, Lucy, who is my stepdaughter, and my heart breaks for her. And she is handling it amazingly. So what's really interesting is I've been thinking about it and having different conversations with people because generational giving is something that I'm passionate about and have been for probably the last 20 years. And it's the first time all five generations from Generation Z, Generation Y, Millennials, Generation X, some baby boomers, and the matures are all working together. They're all giving to different causes together. We're all in this world, this thick of it together. And yes, certainly generations have different characteristics in terms of their giving. Speaking specifically to the younger generation, specifically millennials, Generation Y and Generation Z. And I think about it, I'll speak more specifically towards Lucy. So Lucy was born right after 9-11, right? So that's part of her core. She knew about that. There was lore behind that. She knew about it. Then she went through the depression or the recession in 2008, 2009. And so how and what her, you know, again, becoming a young adult in that time. And now they're experiencing this and COVID. And they're going to vote, by the way, in November. So what's super interesting to me is to watch Lucy and look and listen and hear some of the conversations her and her friends are having about volunteer engagement, about you know, the money that they don't have right now, but where they would give it. And by the way, they do do still give, even if they don't make a lot of money. Again, the misnomer that just rich people give money is actually sort of the opposite. A lot of people who don't have tons of money are actually the ones who carry philanthropy a lot in our country. So I think certainly what's interesting is people probably by generation are reverting back to kind of their giving characteristics. But Generation Z for me is the one that's the most fascinating to watch and to see how they will sort of transcend from this as as philanthropists involved in organizations as volunteers, as donors. So that kind of answers your question. Yeah, no, that's great. I wonder if if we're fascinated. I mean, there's so much like focus on millennials and now the the Zoomers, uh, which I think both my kids, they're 12 and 15, are technically Zoomers. The 15-year-olds may be a little on the cusp. Anyway, I wonder, you know, there's so much sort of attention and like, how do you market to them and how do you engage them? And and I wonder if we're, we're intrigued because, because we don't know the ending to the story. Yeah. 
right? And like our minds always kind of want to like know what the ending is to the story. I don't know that they're inherently more fascinating than the other generations. We're fascinating. Yeah. (laughs) Not not really. Um, (laughs) But, you know, comparing is fascinating. But I do really, like, it intrigues me deeply why why there's just so much focus on it. But uh, yeah, I love... I love hearing about Lucy and what her friends are talking about. It's a great. Well, and they care and they're. They care. And out, right? And they are, you know, they're, they give me hope, right? Like yeah. their generation gives me hope in terms of yes. like where they're going, how they're getting us there, what they're teaching us. You know, I'm the one falling in the corner because she's not going to have a graduation and she's like, Oh, I'm good, you know, and, and we're going to do this, this, and this. And I don't know if that's just her and maybe some of her friends, but, you know, there's certainly, she is certainly handling it really, really well. That's great to hear. I, I do always say that if people are bummed out or pessimistic or feeling down, I come, well, you can't always come in and sit in a class because it would be awkward, but uh, <laughs> like they give me hope every single day that I teach and get to be around my students is a gift because they remind me that like good things are still coming. You know, it's part of the reason I want to do this podcast is I feel like, you know, we have a negative negativity skew is also human nature and there's a lot of good that's happening in the world. So part of this podcast was my way of being like, no, 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 I'm not crazy. Like there is a lot of good happening in the world. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. Let's talk about it. Okay. So speaking of silver linings, because I am always looking for the silver lining. So much will be, is different now. So much will be different. And then we know that we will go back to status quo because that's what we know in a lot of ways. Well, you know, probably we will if history is any indication of the future. What are some things that you're hoping won't go back to the status quo as it relates to philanthropy? So one is the fact that the third sector, the nonprofit sector, was even included in the stimulus package, right? Like actually at the table. So I think there's a way for advocacy to lead more front and center than it ever has before. And for nonprofits to understand how they can participate, because they can. There's such this sort of misnomer that you can't participate in advocacy, you can't really lobby, but there's a really different, there are really different rules between advocacy and lobbying. And so that advocacy seat at the table, voice being heard, I hope continues. I also hope we are reverting back some tried and true fundraising practices, picking up the phone and calling donor X and checking in and saying hello. And you know what? I have always been an advocate for that. But I think now more than ever, people realize that phone calls and checking in or maybe a Zoom conversation or a FaceTime conversation, whatever that might be, that personal engagement is, is, and is in my opinion, and always will be the number one way to engage people in giving, period, is by the face-to-face ask. And I think that can happen now, we're realizing, in different ways, whether it be over the phone over Zoom, etc. The other thing, and I think we're in the thick of it right now, Erica, is event season. And, you know, I think about the people who were doing events in like early March, at least in Seattle, because I know listeners are probably all over. But for Seattle, we were sort of on that front end. Of course, we were the epicenter before, you know, there was an epicenter that, that started traveling around the country. And those nonprofits who were doing events during that time, 
there were some that did some really good work in pivoting really quickly to like online events, to virtual events. And now, you know, a month and a half later, we're still having the conversation because we don't know what it's going to look like in the summer and we don't know what it's going to look like in the fall. But my hope is there's also an opportunity to engage more thoughtfully with the events that we do and still do events because they're still really important. There are opportunities to acquire new donors or opportunities to educate people about the work that we do. But there also, I think, became some of a crutch for us in terms of how much money we raised from them, how much time we spent on them, and the energy that it takes to put on an event. And how can we take some of the lessons we're learning right now and having to pivot? There's that word we're using a lot. Yep, 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 Um, yep. How are you... How are you changing your event strategy? And so for me, sort of that seat at the table, tried and true best practices, and maybe looking at our event strategy and learning from some of the things we're having to sort of be forced to do. You know, I've been thinking about it this way. So you mentioned I did go to the Lily School of Philanthropy, and it was before there was the Lily School. And I sat on a podcast um, or listened in, actually, it was a Zoom webinar, and they were talking about a blank piece of paper, right? And there's an element right now, and I think on the other side of this, where we can have a blank piece of paper. And we can kind of say, what do we really want to do? Why do we really want to do it? And let's go out and do it. And sort of throw away all the other things that you never really like to do anyway, that we can't do right now. So that sort of blank piece of paper thing also gives me some kind of excitement towards what could be on the other side of this. I mean, that would... To actually do that to take a blank piece of paper yes. and by the way turn it horizontally rather than vertically because our brains process differently yes on the horizontal i like that yes and like you know there's that um the author of the little prince who said uh, yep antoine de saint exupery his name is very hard to say uh <laughs> perfection is reached not when there's nothing left to add but when there's nothing left to take away and I've really, I've been kind of meditating on this idea because that, w- that was adapted into something that I heard, which is this question of what's essential and therefore what can fall away. Yeah. And my invitation to listeners is really, uh, and with this addition of like, take a blank piece of paper and really ask the question about what's essential. I feel like, and I know from talking to colleagues around the country and the world, that uh, we're pretty event heavy in Seattle. And I don't know why we like events so much, but we love us an event. And so, I mean, that's fairly common for nonprofits. And, you know, I talked to organizations and be like, why are you doing the event? And it almost became like, well, we have to do an event. It's like, no, you actually don't. We've always done it that way. Right. right. You know, yeah. either we've always done that way or, and the thing that like kind of uh, got me going a little bit more is like, well, everybody's doing an event. So if we don't have an event, right. Right. well, maybe you zig while others zag. Yeah. Uh-huh. But this idea of just the blank piece of paper, I love that. I think it was Susan Howlett who I heard this from. And she said, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Yeah. <laughs> she, she was paraphrasing somebody. I don't know who she was paraphrasing. I love it. I have loved seeing, you know, nonprofits step up and stand tall into that, like, we deserve to be in that stimulus package. Guess what? No, we can't just keep doing this without help. We are so on the front line. So that um, definitely gives me... There is an opportunity to be bold and to be big. Mm -hmm. And again, there is an opportunity right now to think beyond and to think big and bold. And what is it that you want to go, you know, take that blank piece of paper, but also think about what could be right? 
because donors love to be involved in something that's big and that is really impactful. And it doesn't have to steer away from your mission, but like, what is that next big idea that you want to go out that you've actually learned during this time that could have really benefited you, right? And so thinking about it from that aspect of, yes, there are aspects right now where we have to be reactive because there is just, there is just money that we need to raise to support our people, our programs, and everything that we do. But like when you get a chance to sort of sit, take a breath, get out that piece of paper, put it horizontal, and then dream. And to your point, get rid of the non-essential. And that's the other thing. I think the word essential has become so loaded right now in our communities because who wants to be told they're non-essential, right? But the reality is there are certainly things that are work in philanthropy that are essential. And there are certainly things that we could probably do without or do differently next time. Yeah. I mean, it bumps me out because I love the word essence. I've always yes. been there because I talk a lot about from a messaging perspective, how you want to communicate your essence, not your everything. Ooh, I like that too. Yeah. And then this word essential comes along and it kind of like Sully's essence a little bit, I feel like this day and age. But I, I really, l- listeners, I want you to hear this point that Rebecca's making because I, I feel like it's really important, which is dreaming isn't luxury. Mm-hmm. And maybe you can't do it right now, but just like opening up a place in your brain where you might do it would be great. Have you ever heard of any organizations actually, um, this will be a lot of insight to like where my brain goes when I hear things. Has it, have you ever heard of organizations like mailing, doing a mail or mailing out a blank piece of paper to donors with a little notes, like explaining, like having to be an invitation to, to dream the future with no, But I love it because again, another one of those quotes that I don't know who the origin is, but like long-term leadership involvement for me is people tend to support what they create. Yes. Yes. And so if you could, how cool if that would be a direct mail piece. Love it. It's cheap. How cheap is that? Like it's a blank piece of paper. And it could be written in a way where you could literally see the frame and there could be some prompts and there could be a way you'd go with a self, you know, a response envelope and you could do a whole campaign around it. I love that. And then they, and then, and then, and then. Done. Of course, you know, self-addressed, stamp envelope so they actually get back to you. You have like endless social media fodder. Exactly. Click, click. click. Okay. Yep. I hope that one some listener takes this and runs with it. <laughs> if they need help, they can reach out. Eric and I will help you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I, I just like generate the ideas these days. So you know we're here and there if they want it. But I do I was gonna ask you anyway. Ostara group where you are currently president, I just feel like in the past three to five years, you've just like taken off and you were like this kind of like, who's Ostara? Who's Ostara? You know, and now all of a sudden everybody knows who you are. Will you share with us, like, was that intentional? How did that happen? And how are you feeling about it? And where, where are you, where are you going? Yeah. Thank you. That's good to hear. Cause you never know, right? Like it's interesting because so we celebrated our 10th anniversary last year and our CEO and founder, Kyle Holmrast and I met 11 years ago through Leadership Tomorrow, which is a program through the city of Seattle. Many cities have them. And Ostara was born out of that experience for wanting to create consulting for the small and the mid-sized organization. 
and we really think about things in the three C's, culture, capacity, and capability. And so I would say, you know, loosely, we were a bunch of independent contractors up until about 2016. So kind of in your timeline of sort of when things sort of got noticed, I would say we, we all became employees then in 2016. And we are now a team of 17. And we are, we've worked with over 350 some clients in the region, as well as sort of statewide. And I think we have really good people. I do. And I think we all have worked on the front lines of fundraising. And so when we say we get it, we actually really do get it. And so there's an element of the people that we hire who work for Ostara, who have really live experience that they can bring into consulting situations. And so we do grant work, right? So we do research, writing, and strategies where we actually are part of a team. We do campaign work. So readiness, planning, council, we do strategy and facilitation. So traditional board retreats and workshops and facilitations, and then have a whole line of development services where there's major gifts, individual giving, development assessments. And so we've sort of focused in those four areas and hired people who have sort of breadth of experience in each of those. And so what I continue to hear is that one of the things we say, we work shoulder to shoulder with you. Um, everything's custom built. There's no notebook. I mean, of course, there's things that we've learned from all the clients that we've worked with, but you have to go in and really listen. And and where are you? And what do you need? And what are you trying to become? And then let's do that together. So I think that essence, I'll use that word, of what we do has caught on. And I think people appreciate that. You mentioned that you do work with boards. Yes. What are your thoughts on um, or your observations about how board members are thinking about themselves, you know, in, in this moment? Yeah. So, you know, probably like you as an academic, I've been doing a lot of reading and looking at articles and all these different things. And, you know, Joan Gary, who's one of my favorite fundraising professionals, had a great blog post about probably three weeks ago. And I have just continued to use it because of how boards can show up right now. And for me, it is a couple. And then I'll caveat by saying I also sat on a webinar by the Chronicle Philanthropy last week that was talking about boards. I think it was last week. I don't know. Every day kind of feels like a week. But they were talking about boards right now. We have to think about them differently. We have to think about them collectively as the board. And then we have to think about them as individuals on a board. And so they have different functions right now because the board and that governance is being tested, right? In terms of how you show up, how you govern. And then there's this element of, you know, you mentioned first responders or people that are are working in this that are also board members. Well, they've got to do what's first priority right now. So to me, what I've seen work really well is when executive directors and staff can be really clear with what they need from the board and then ask them for that versus a call out that we need your help because then someone might come back to you with help that you might not need right now. But the idea of being really clear and prioritize what you need and then also getting board members on the phone talking with donors. I mean, that human to human check-in right now. Yes. That idea of just picking up the phone and calling someone to say, how are you? How is your family? How are you doing? How is life? And just listening 
And, you know, that was the beginning of Joan's blog was a, a development officer or executive director had done that to check in. And guess what? The next day they called and they said they wanted to make a very sizable gift. And they did not call to ask. Right. They called to check in. So a great role for board members to play right now is in that stewardship. Always a great role. So here's Always. another, but I'm going to put into this list. I feel like we're creating of like things we hope. Yes stay and don't go back to status quo, which is this dynamic of, you know, executive directors and, you know, staff kind of not wanting to like bug or be too directive of the board. And, and there's some legitimate reasons for that. And there's power dynamics and a lot of other things, Yep. but with really high functioning organizations, at least in my experience, part of why they're so high functioning is because the board like has clear vision, they're aligned on the vision and they're, and they are asked to do very specific things. Yes. And like, here's your list, work the list. And I love this idea. I mean, I think we all get it. Like I would love, I would love a phone call from any of the organizations I support, right? Just saying, how are you doing? And that's it. Yeah. But you yeah. can just feel that that would make you more loyal. And it's a nice way to ease the, don't, the board members who don't like those phone call things yes. into it. Like literally all you're doing is saying, Hey, how are you? Yeah. You know, and don't give someone 20. There's nope. too much going nope. in life for 20. Give me three or give me five. And I guarantee your board member will come back asking for more. I guarantee it. Because you know, I sat, I was on a board meeting last night, Zoom, again, sort of my, my new norm, um, a Zoom board meeting. And the couple board members were talking about thank you calls they had been making. And it was just great to hear their stories because, you know, one of them was like, well, the person was a little bit hesitant. And then they knew that I was just calling to say thank you and hello. And then they just talked to me for 20 minutes, you know? So again, other thing I think happens a lot, Erica, and I'm again, back to sort of what am I seeing right now is the angst that we feel oftentimes we put on to other people. So in fundraising, if I don't want to be asked, if I don't want to be called, then I don't want to ask, I don't want to call. And so again, taking taking that opportunity to a not make decisions for donors and let them decide and putting it out there as the opportunity to just check in. And so, yeah, you're right. I think it's, I have seen if it's reasonable, if you give a little script with a few bullets and then they can tell their personal story again, the why start with the why it matters. It's the most important thing about the work that we do. You cannot go out and ask anybody for money unless you have a reason why. And story is connected to that. And everybody, all of our board members have a story, you know, and then the other side of that too is not everybody is cut out to be a board member and that's okay, but there's a place to, to be in the world again as a volunteer or somewhere else in the, the structure. But, you know, I think there's an opportunity to sort of see right now and focus on the board members, I guess, that are showing up is what I'm saying, Right is that the 80% who are and the 20% that aren't kind of that rule that we think about Pareto's principle, that matters right now because I'm sensing frustration from some of my clients about their board. But then when I sort of like dig into it, they're telling me about three or four people of a board of 10 who are showing up. And I'm like, that's who I want you to focus on right now. Let the others go right now. And let's just dig in with those three or four that want to show up and want to help. Yep. That's great. Yes, this this projecting of my angst becomes your angst. And yeah, but let me just dip into the weeds with a super practical question. 
What do you say to listeners who have board members who want to help, but don't want to do kind of the things that you need them to do right now? Because you want board members to feel wonderful. You want them to feel like they're contributing. Yeah. So I'll, I'll pull a little bit from something I heard last week from that um, Chronicle webinar was our boards are showing up right now in the habits that we created for them in the past. So if we were not clear about a board's role or the expectation of a board member before, it's very difficult now in a pandemic to try to try and create a clear expectation. So I think you got to start there, right? So if you are an organization who has had really clear roles and responsibilities and expectations from your board, I think you treat your board just like you would another donor. As you think through what are the priorities that you need, and you know, again, I like to think in three. So what are those three things that you need right now? Get on the phone with that board member and just say, hey, I know you want to help and be honest. I mean, I'm all about, the, I call them the BDCs, the big difficult conversations, right? And sometimes they can be with board members where you're feeling in that power dynamic like, I don't want you to do that. I want you to do this. And just say, hey, you know what, Erica? I love that you want to volunteer and do this right now. I actually would like to share with you, there's a couple other things that are just rising on the priority list. How would you feel about doing this or that? And again, giving choice, not open-ended right now, because I think open-ended is a bit overwhelming for people. And I think the idea of sort of this or that in terms of choice and connecting it to priorities of the organization, which by the way, go back to serving our mission. Because the reality is I don't raise money for Rebecca Zanata. I don't raise money for the organizations that I even work for. I raise money for the people that benefit from those organizations. And so if you can get board members to think in that way, in terms of that's who they're supporting, I think there's ways to sort of steer or whatever word you want to use them into a different way to help right now versus maybe the way that they want to help. Yeah. So if you're listening to this, I really, I want to underscore this one point, which is this idea of choice. Like here's two options, not like this isn't a time to be saying like, hey, let's, let's freeform. You know what? I don't like the term spitball. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Why would I want to be involved in that? There's a lot of tissues that you're going to need and toilet paper. That's and then you got to clean it up. Or so. and whatever. There's not like a spitball cleanup crew that comes along as far as I can tell. Why do you say that? Spaghetti on the wall. That one too. Like throw the spaghetti on the wall. Oh, wow. Okay. Ew. Anyway, we could, we could hop, we could hop far, far, far down that bunny trail. It's not, but I do want listeners to hear this, this, because I think that we do again, back to power dynamics, there's a tendency to sort of defer yeah. And sometimes that's super appropriate, but I love this language you're giving folks, which is like, this is what we need. Remember, you start with the why. We're in service to the mission. We're in service to the people we're serving. That's why we're all here. We're all doing this. So here are our organizational priorities right now in the immediate. And here's two things. It's actually funny because I realized the other night that, so dinner for us can be a little bit fraught because our, my family, like if there's a Venn diagram of the things we like, it's like just not that much overlap. So it's always a little, and I love food and I love cooking. I love the whole thing. So it's a little bit of attention for us. And I realized recently that if, rather than saying like, what should we have for dinner tonight? If I was like, there's tacos, there's spaghetti, which one you want or whatever the thing is. Yep. Well, totally. it's just like a much less stressful approach. Yeah. And you're right. There is some power dynamic in there and there is some like, I'm yeah. telling someone what to do, but again, if you're doing it in, in service of the mission, 
Yeah. And that is, and that's the other thing right now is our organizations right now cannot do everything. And in fact, I'm talking with organizations about, I want you to throw away your strategic plan. Not really, but like, just set, you set it aside for B. Yeah. Just set it aside for right yeah, now. Totally. Exactly. And do the same thing with your development plan. Right. If you had one and if you didn't, that's okay too. But the reality right now is I want you to think in terms of quarters, right? Like three months, like what is our goal and what are our priorities for the organization and for us in fundraising for the next three months, right? And then let's check in in June. And then let's think about it from July to September. And what, is it the same? And do we just carry that forward or have things changed a little bit? But this idea that we can just be like we were before, I think adds a layer of stress and pressure that, again, back to the blank page, right? Again, use the strategic plan, use the development plan. Everything that you have in there is really helpful, but like making sure that you're thinking about, hey, guess what? Give big is coming up. Giving Tuesday and give big. March 5th, May 5th and 6th. So those are what we're going to focus on now. And then we're going to do something in June. And those are going to be our two priorities. And then, yes, you might need to start thinking about that event or whatnot that you were going to do in the fall. But again, kind of limit how much you put on yourself right now in terms of what you have to really figure out. And then that drives then how you can involve board members and how you can involve people to support the work that you're doing. Yeah, I love that. I I even wonder about three months out feeling far. Yeah. But one thing, so again, on on my optimistic, wishful thinking list... I feel like there's so much wisdom inherent in mission-minded, purpose-driven people. And that sometimes, every once in a while, when we get into strategy, which I love, this weird thing happens where we sort of stop listening to that wisdom, like that intuition about how to do things. And I, I just, I, I hope, I hope, I hope, you know, if you're listening to this and you like, you will listen to that wisdom and get that blank piece of paper with others. Of course, you're not going to go off with your piece of paper and be like, no, it's just my piece of paper. We're all going to do it how I say it. That's not what I'm recommending at all. You know, but I think there could be great power in, you know, doing this as a team activity and going away and then coming back and seeing like, where's their overlap. But this piece around just making making peace with like, we can do one thing or two things well. I'm just, I'm looking over here because I have this little, it's a fortune cookie. It's a fortune I got recently. Yeah. And it said, you can't ride in all directions at one time. Oh my gosh. Totally. Which actually is the Newton's third law of motion. (laughs) Okay. It's just a riff on Newton's third law of motion, which is for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. And so if if you're like a whole bunch of things are going out to the, you know, world, you just don't get that much traction. So it's always true, you know, and of course the Claxon method, which is what I'm always going on about is like, it simplifies it, right? What does success look like? Who do you need to get involved? And then how are you going to do it? And just work the method sequentially. I would, I'm really encouraging folks to think, one channel, one thing, and not, not even threes, which is generally where we go. Because it's just, I mean, we're human. It's too much. Yeah. yeah. And maybe that'll stick. Because, I mean, sequencing, you know, single tasking, there's so much evidence to support that's so much more effective than multitasking. Right. Which, but like, if you can multitask. Don't tell, don't you know, tell that downstairs. I mean, I'm a great multitasker. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. I have one thing, one thing you said that just sparked in my mind is thinking about it from the aspect of the Claxon method 
and thinking about the development plan and people are like, what are the, what are the components? And I'm like, well, all you need is the why, right? Like, well, what are you raising? Always rounded the why. And then it's the who, right? And then even then it's just like pick five people who are the five people who were your most trusted last year that you can call on right now. And then what's your how? And is your how going to be give big? Is your how going to be an intimate event on Zoom where you're going to have a toast? Or is your how going to be an email campaign? And that's what I'm talking about. The same sort of thing in terms of like organizing yourself in terms of how you're going to get through this in terms of fundraising is really simple. Why, who, and how. And I would, I would insert, of course, a what in between the why and the who. Okay, perfect. Great. Just because otherwise it's fascinating to me, like truly fascinating how often folks assume that they have a shared sense of like what success looks like. True. And then, yes. then I'm like, okay, let's just make sure. Let's just put words to it. You name it, you can tame it. And they're like, oh, well, shizzle. We're really, <laughs> oh, we're I thought we were on acquisition and you're over there on retention. So we're, we're in alignment on this. Yes. Okay. I ask every guest this question. Okay. Closing, which is, so in order to do this work, we need both inspiration and motivation, motivations for the mind, inspirations for the heart. I don't know if I shared this with you, the rationale behind this where I got here, which is the root where the word inspiration came from actually means to breathe in. Uh-huh. Okay. And motivation is about action. So we need that breath in order to keep doing things. So what inspires you and what keeps you motivated to do this work? So in terms of inspiration, it's the people that I get to work with, the clients that I get to work with, and when they have success. And what's even better is when you actually get to experience your success, meaning someone shares with you is that, Hey, that piece we worked on, I sent it at one o'clock and by four o'clock I had 10 new monthly donors. Right. And then it was the, and I was kind of hesitant to do it, but you, you know, we talked through it and you kind of pushed me and we did it like that inspiration of sort of, knowing that that in that specific case that that many more people will be helped the motivation is i just i i also am an idealist i'm an optimist and the motivation is that we just aren't done yet i don't think you're ever done i think it's an element of ego if you think you're done like that's why i love to continue to learn I learn from students. I learn from the people that I work with. I learn from my family and I learn from our clients and the people that we serve. And so motivation for me is to, to continue to challenge myself to help in that way. And I've, you know, I've spent 25 years. This has been my career. My first job was calling alumni at Washington State University. Oh, is it? Go Cougs. And that's dogs. when I realized you, what'd you say? You I said dogs. dogs. Of course you did. Of course okay. That was a little insider joke. We're in Washington state. There's Washington state university, which is the Cougars. And then there's university of Washington where I'm faculty and alum. And that's the dogs, the Huskies yeah. actually, but we say go dogs. Okay. What were you saying, Rebecca? <laughs> is that I have found, I have found a place in this, in this work. Right. And I think I have found a place with the people that I work with and you know inspiration that breathing in is seeing when that work comes to life and then that motivation is to just know that there's more to do that's beautiful thank you for that and thanks for being here thanks for being amazing thank you
If you would like to connect with Rebecca, you can find her on LinkedIn and Twitter, where you will find her at, at Rebecca Zanata, R-E-B-E-C-C-A. Z-A-N-A-T-T-A. So many A's. Uh, to learn about the Ostara Group, you can go to ostaragroup.com, O-S-T-A-R-A group.com. All of that will be in the show notes. You know what is always going to be true, regardless of pandemics and COVID and coronavirus and all the rest of that crap. A pitch perfect elevator pitch is never going to go out of style. It's just not. And so if your pitch is a few notes off key, which many, many are, I want to remind you or encourage you to go to klaxonmarketing.com backslash pitchfalls. There you can download your very own free copy of the book I wrote, Pitchfalls, Why Bad Pitches Happen to Good People. You're good people. So go get your free copy, klaxonmarketing.com backslash pitchfalls. Thank you for being here with me and Rebecca today. And thank you, thank you, thank you for making our world a better place. Thanks for listening to the Marketing for Good podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share on Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like more information about Claxon University, how to make more impact in and for your organization, or hiring me to speak or coach, go to klaxonmarketing.com or reach out at info at klaxonmarketing.com. Again, thanks for listening and thanks for making our world a better place.